you can ask for anything. Is it, are they going to say yes? You know, is it that reasonable? I don't know. Those are all different discussions, but yes, you can ask for anything. Be empowered. You are an expert in your child. Get to that table, hold your head high and speak with authority because you are an authority when it comes to your child. You are an equal member of that team. I'm Nicole Holcomb, attorney by day and podcaster by night, a former educator, school counselor, and administrator, and mom to a nine-year-old daughter with dyslexia, who loves all things Harry Potter, Minecraft, and science. A few years ago, she was identified with dyslexia, and our lives seemed to turn upside down for a while, quite literally. I created the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast to help you navigate the upside-down journey of dyslexia. You got this. If you're wanting to thrive as a mom in this dyslexia journey, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast. Today on the podcast, I am talking with Mary Ann Young. And you may remember Mary Ann was on the show, I believe it was episode 23, around there. She was talking about raising exceptional children. We had a fantastic conversation, but I held a little bit back from you, and today I'm releasing that. We are talking in this conversation all about accommodations you should be asking for for your child with dyslexia. And we are also talking about how to be an advocate for your child and when you may want to seek the services of a special education advocate. And if you remember from before, for those of you that didn't have a chance to listen to that episode, Mary Ann, that's what her life calling is. She is now a special education advocate, but you know what? She's also a mom, a mom to a child that's exceptional. So she has been there. She's walked this path before us. She walks this path beside us every day. She is a special education advocate, and you will hear her uh, sincerity, her honesty about the topics of accommodations and also about advocacy. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our conversation. So as we think about those areas of need and we think about, you know, it is, you know, unfortunately such a struggle with schools to figure out, you know, how to not only identify, you know, what is the issue sometimes with a learner, but also how do we best you know, equipped and help them and remediate them. And how do we do those pieces? So I'm interested, you know, to, to, to get your take and kind of pick your brain a minute about as we think about those academic needs. And I get the question quite frequently, I'm sure you probably do as well, which is, you know, how do, how does a family, how does a mom, how, how do they go about talking to the schools about accommodations? And, you know, let's, let's assume we, today's not going to be about, I mean, we could, we could spend a whole hour talking about 504 plans and an IEP and what does that mean? And those definitions we're going to, for this conversation, we're going to assume the student has been identified with dyslexia. The school's aware of it. We've, we've, we've walked through those other hurdles of testing. And now we're at the point where we're having the conversations about what type of needs my child has and what accommodations are needed. And so how do you, how do you share that with families? How do you go about walking them through how to, how to identify and, and know what to ask for? Well, first and foremost, um, the evaluation reports should have recommendations listed, okay? Um, some 
schools kind of fail in this area sometimes, but psychological evaluation should come with recommendations that are um, relative to your child's needs. So start there. The second thing is, you know, you, you can look it up online, you know, common accommodations for children with dyslexia, but all we can do is try and write, like follow the research, the knowns, but what works for your child may not work for mine. So for example, my son uses a screen reader, right? The, the accessibility features built into his Chromebook or his iPad works great for him. Some people that does not work well, the non-human voice, uh, they have trouble getting meaning from. And so you have to try things and see if it works. So you, you try it based on the research and the evidence, um, things that are commonly associated and then see how it goes. But every individual is an individual and their, their needs and the way we address them is going to be unique. And that's why these are individualized plans, but you kind of start there and it's, it's trial and error to some degree. So it doesn't necessarily mean, I, I know I see some people comment, especially in Facebook groups about, oh, I got all of these things. This is wonderful. <laughs> but do you find that more is necessarily better? I do not. So it's a fine line between accommodating and enabling. Um, and some, some, even children, right? I mean, they're human. Sometimes people take advantage. But if you give them more than they need, um, one, it's going to inhibit them in their growth, right? Like, just like the butterfly coming out of the cocoon, we grow through struggles, okay? We don't want them to struggle so much that their mental health takes an impact where they don't want to go to school, but a little bit of struggle is actually a good thing for one. But for two, a lot of these things that are being listed as accommodations in IEPs, while they make everything easy peasy, it sometimes doesn't is not setting them up for success in the future. And I encourage people to go to their local college, especially if you have a kid getting ready in middle school or something, go to the local um, college, go to their disability office and show them the accommodations on your child's IEP and start talking to them about, you know, what is likely to occur in college because unfortunately some of these kids have three pages worth of accommodations and that would not necessarily be reasonable at the the university level and um, so we don't want them making easy A's and then but when they get to college they're not prepared because they're not going to get those that same level of uh, assistance. And a lot of things these schools are listing as accommodations are in fact modifications. It, you have to be very careful and thoughtful. And so you, you introduced a new word. So for, can you share with them what you mean by a modification as opposed to an accommodation? Sure. So an accommodation changes the way or the place where your child does things, right? So if the rest of the class has 50 questions, and they're taking it in the general education classroom and they have, you know, 50 minutes. An accommodation, your child may take it in the small group classroom, the test might be allowed, and they might have 
two hours, right? But they're still doing those same 50 questions. The way it's administered and the location is different. A modification is changing what your child learns and does, lessening those expectations. So it's, it's, for example, if your child is taking 25 questions instead of 50, that is a modification. And actually, I had an expert reviewer on my book, and, and we talked about this section. He said, well, the, the you know, reducing the spelling test is an accommodation. And, and so we, we, we had a little battle, right, to show um, each other, and he's a former teacher. So I had to show him that, in fact, that is a modification. So if you're changing the expectation for the child, it is a modification and it reduces expectations and it can slow growth. That was going to be my next question as, as far as modifications. Are there times when modifications make sense? Of course. So for a child? again, every child is unique. And if your child needs it, then do it. Okay. But don't do it on a whim. Choose these things thoughtfully. You know, a Facebook post about what all does your child get, and then you go in and you want all these same things. Um, don't be stuck on the solution. Focus on the need and how we can address this need because one child might do it a different way. One child, it you know, it might be total totally impractical. But but sometimes modifications are needed, and and I specifically believe it is my personal belief, is that nothing comes ahead of mental health. Nothing. Uh, so so there are times that it's certainly appropriate. Just don't do it, you know, without. Yeah, and I think that's a good, a good point, too, because it, it, it is everything is should be <laughs> so individualized for what your child needs because every child just has a different experience. And also, I think that's why I really enjoyed your part of the book where you started out talking about that vision statement and that master plan. So, you know, although you may jump in a Facebook group and see a comment about some, something very specific, it's specific to their experience and, and their uh, child's experience and what their child may or may not need. But if you can go back to your own personal master plan, and then like you said, also go back to the assessment to see where are they currently functioning. And so then you can be thinking about those accommodations as it relates to your child. And I think too, I mean, I think about, you know, learning styles as well. So, I mean, if like, I'm very visual, but my daughter's very auditory. So, you know, I wouldn't want to set things in place that might not be good for her as far as her learning style. So I think there's just a couple of pieces I think that, you know, parents need to really be mindful of. And I so often see posts about, well, what should I be asking for? And people, I mean, people give some good examples of types of accommodations but I don't think, you know, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I really, it, you know, my belief as a, as a former educator and now in this world of, of dyslexia as a parent, there's not one size fits all. You really have to have some thoughtful thoughts about, you know, what is our master plan and what is my child interested in and how do they learn best and, you know, what accommodations are going to help us achieve, you know, catching up a grade level this year and reading and, and what do we need to do and how can we partner with the school? And so I just think that's 
I guess that's the piece that concerns me is I see a lot of a conversation, which is good. You need to have a community. I'm not saying that. I just, uh, I fear that many parents may just go off of, let's say what one of us might say, and it, it is just so individualized. And so I'm, I'm glad that you, you shared that as well. Or any other thoughts about that as far as uh, accommodations and just being kind of mindful of those? Sure. I think, you know, it, it's not bad to ask because some parents really have no clue about what's possible, you know, even possible solutions. So it's not wrong to ask people what are what's your child successful with, but then don't make that, you know, your definitive list of demands because they're not necessarily going to match your child's needs. And even within dyslexia, there's a huge variation, right? Um, and people have additional struggles and some people have, um, you know, a milder dyslexia. Some people have a more profound dyslexia. Um, so you know, it's, good, it's good to get an idea, but then from there, put some real thought into it and say, okay, well, you know, does this match my child's needs? Um, is it necessary for him to have access to the general education standards? Yeah, so really we're talking about being proactive and really we're kind of inching into the conversation as well as you really are your child's best advocate, right? I mean, you are the person that knows the most about your child and what they struggle with. Uh, I mean, you're not with them during the day in the classroom, but I mean, you know them, you're, you're with them. Uh, a teacher may have them for, you know, nine or 10 months, may work with them over the summer as well. But, you know, you are your child's best advocate. And so, you know, what are some thoughts that you have about, uh, and we're going to talk a few minutes uh, in a few minutes about, you know, if going beyond that and hiring professionals, but as you start out the journey and you're trying to kind of navigate your way through this, what are some uh, advice you would give to parents as they try to navigate being their own, their own child's advocate, if that makes sense? Yeah, it does. And, and you're exactly right. You are the first expert on your child. And so I think what's really important, one kind of one of the questions that I get from new clients is, can I ask for? Yes. The answer is always yes. You can ask for anything. Is it, are they going to say yes? You know, is it that reasonable? I don't know. Those are all different discussions, but yes, you can ask for anything. Be in power. Don't people get in the table and they see, you know, 15 other people in the room and they feel ganged up on and they get very timid and they feel, you know, less than adequate. You are an expert in your child. Get to that table, hold your head high and speak with authority because you are an authority when it comes to your child. You are an equal member of that team. You know, the occupational therapist is an expert in her field right? So her input is valuable, but you're an expert in your field and that is parenting your child and meeting their needs. So, so really you just have to own, uh, I think that's probably the most important thing is don't be afraid to ask questions, to state what your child needs, to seek solutions. You know, maybe, you know, some of the things we've run into, sometimes people want a one-on-one pair pro. Maybe that's the solution and not maybe the only solution. So if, if you ask for something and they say no, make sure you follow up with, well, this is the need. What are some other ways that you recommend we can meet it? But don't be intimidated. You're an equal member. You are an expert. And um, 
as long as you go in there with your kid in mind, you'll be fine. If as much as you can educate yourself on the disability, um, on the IEP or 504 process, that's certainly going to help you. Um, but not everybody's really capable of, of getting that at, at a deep level, right? Um, but, you know, educate yourself to the best of your ability and go in and, and advocate for your child. Don't be scared. Absolutely. It, and I always tell people, too, it seems like, you know, if, if you go in and have the conversation and the mindset that, and, and I've had people say this before, too, that, you know, we're all here for the best child. And so, let, you know, if you can keep the focus on that and, and away from the power struggles that sometimes happen, then you really can move a good bit uh, because there are pieces of that and it's a lengthy process but it just seems like you know if you can have those you know if everybody can just be mindful of the child then you know educators want to do what's best for your child but maybe they're not always aware of what that is and so that's like you said why you're such a a valuable part of that team Mm -hmm. so this is the million dollar question which is well then when do I know or when should I seek out hiring a special education advocate like when should I do that so this comes back down in, in my mind to um, mama's intuition, right? <laughs> or parental intuition. For example, there are studies that show that like mothers can identify autism in their children three years prior to medical professionals. So when we say you're an expert in your child, you really are. There's this. So generally parents have this sense that something is not going right. It's just not adding up. They feel uneasy. Um, if you're feeling it in your gut, that's your intuition talking to you, get help. And then, and then what I run into, unfortunately, a lot of times is, and it is often a financial investment. So it's, you know, obviously not something you want to jump in lightly, but unfortunately parents, um, kind of know something's wrong and they're like, well, I'm going to give it another try. We'll give it six more months. And, and, and they want, they know in their heart of hearts that it's not working, but they don't want to be like quitters, I guess, you know, they don't want to give up. They're going to give it another try and another try. Um, and then that is valuable time lost. Um, sometimes bells are rung that cannot be unrung, right. If we're talking about, you know, behaviors or something like that. Um, so really, if you're sensing that it's not right, it's usually not. And, and quite honestly, by the time somebody comes to an advocate, they're usually coming with, you know, one or two big issues. But when we get our hands on that document, um, we can identify several more. So there's more going on than the parent even realizes sometimes because they don't know what they don't know about the process. But if you feel it, if it's acrimonious, um, advocates, I mean, while advocate can be a dirty word in school districts sometimes, I mean, really a good advocate should be able to come in there and help calm the situation down. Um, Not always, of course, we can't control others, but it can be very helpful because a lot of times it's a communication barrier between the school and the parent. And there's a distrust that is happening because of failures of the past. So it it can really be beneficial. But if it's acrimonious, if you feel in your gut that it's not right, get somebody, get somebody to help you. It's so important. So important. 
And, and then the, the follow-up question would be then, okay, so I've got, and, and you're completely right. Cause I've had that. We had a test in first grade. I with, you know, I didn't go with the voices of others saying, well, it could be developmental or it could be this. I was like, no, no, there's something, you know, you just have that mm-hmm. feeling. And so I appreciate you sharing that as well, because I, that is so important. So, all right. So I have that feeling. I know something's just not right. I, I, I reach out to find an advocate, you know, who should I be looking for? I mean, what are some things, some characteristics, some, you know, best practices? Is there a certain certification? I mean, what is it as a parent when I, you know, I Google or I ask everybody in a Facebook group or, or I ask, you know, maybe, you know, my neighbor across the street or whatever it might, whoever it might be, you know, what are some advice that you would give to families to make sure, because I think too, you know, I've worked for school districts and so I've been on the other side and, and an advocate that might not have your best interest at heart can also be very devastating to your family and cannot be a good situation. So I really want to give, you know, have you provide some advice to choosing the best fit for their family? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are some thoughts there? Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. Um, so it can be very damaging, quite honestly, if, if you get the wrong person. So um, unfortunately, there is no like national or state certification on this. There's, it's not um, regulated at all. So essentially, anyone can say, I'm an advocate. All right. Um, so you do, you know, buyer beware. And, and for me, there are different trainings that people can take. Um, you know, if they've done that, that's fine. If they haven't, personally, I haven't. I am 100% self-taught. What's more important um, in my mind than any training is experience. There is no substitution for real world experience. And so word of mouth is always good, but what can get people into um, trouble, I think, is where you end up with the bad advocate is sometimes if you're in this more rural area and there's kind of only one, right? (laughs) So that's the one that everybody's recommending, even though her attitude stinks and she's yelling or cursing in meetings and, um, you know, <laughs> so, um, you know, if, if the word of mouth is because she's the only one, then you might want to look into it uh, a little bit deeper. But when you want to have a, a good rapport with the person, there should be no high pressure. I have heard of um, people doing that before, you know, I have a six month waiting list and I let you jump the whole list. If you don't sign up today, you know, you're not going to be able to get help people that are kind of moonlighting as both. I, I need to be your child's tutor and your advocate. <laughs> That's a little odd to me. So, um, of course, they should have a business license if they're doing business in the state. You know, that's just an ethical kind of thing, right? Um, and if they're not honest in one area of their life, they may not be honest with you as well. If they have, I guess the word social proof is kind of what I'm getting at. So uh, word of mouth recommendations, if they have reviews, uh, those are always good things. You can ask for references, have a conversation with the person. And ideally, you know, I feel like my job is to work collaboratively with the district. You can be kind while also holding people accountable And I think that's important because these children, these families are going to be with this school 
generally for a long time, right? Five years in elementary, four years in, in high, three middle, depending on how your area breaks them up. So you don't want to damage that very fragile relationship, if at all possible. And again, you know, it's not always possible because you don't control other people. But yeah, definitely have a conversation with them. You should feel comfortable with them. There should be no high pressure. They should have a business license. They should have experience that they can prove, you know, and that's kind of my best advice. Yeah. And, you know, too, I, I think some of the, there, there were positives that came out of the, the COVID and the pandemic. And I think this is one area, which is, it's perfectly fine for you to find someone that's not in your area. Like you were saying, if there's only one option or no options, you know, I've been, um, I've worked for a district where, you know, the advocate was on the phone. And so, you know, really like you're saying that experience and that relationship that, that you established with the person again, you know, if you have a gut check or some of those red flags that don't, don't seem right to you, like you were saying, you know, some of that high pressure pieces, keep shopping around, you know, maybe, maybe there's someone else that's a better fit for you. So I do think that that's been, uh, I think people are more open to uh, doing things remotely than we probably were a year ago. So I think that has been a kind of an eye opener for some, I think. Agreed. Yeah. That, that is one of the, the positives that have come out of it. And let me say this too, like when people call me, I, I travel, my rule is, right, because I, I had, when my son was dealing with this, I had some um, very significant um, health issues, and I was actually basically bedridden for a couple of years, was walking with a cane um, before I was 30. I'm doing much better now, but I was struggling with medical debt, and, and I couldn't afford an advocate. I mean, I was I was forced to kind of go it alone. And so my cardinal rule is nobody goes without help if they need it, and we'll, we will figure it out, okay? But ideally, when people call me from wherever they're from, if they can't afford the advocate in the area and they want me to come out, that's fine. I'll be glad to do that. But ideally, if you have somebody that's good, reputable, and already familiar with your area, that's probably a plus because I, I like to say that there's the law and then there's the way it's done. And sometimes I can get things done based on uh, relationships that I've developed and much faster than, than we might if we went the, through the standard process, right? So if you have somebody that's already developed relationships in your area and you can afford them and they're good people, choose somebody local first if you can. But outside of that, yeah, there's always people that are willing to go where they're needed. And, and I do this personally, both in, in Alabama and Georgia, and I'm sure other areas, they have the same. You're going to probably have to make some calls, but they're, but they're out there. Right. Absolutely. All right. So I have a question for you. Sure. Um, which is, what is the best advice that you've received as a mom? Best advice I've received as a mom. Goodness. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily have to be with you know any kind of exceptionality it can just be you know something that stuck out to you over the years that someone has said to you and you thought yeah I need to share this with others my mom is I really gotta narrow it down I think because my mom is so wise I mean oh wise. she's so many tidbits over the years this is the first one that's popping into my head <laughs> I can be kind of um I'm wound a little bit tight. Okay. We'll just put it that way. 
And my mom always would say to me, you know, is this going to matter in two days? Is this going to matter in two weeks or two months or two years? And kind of if the answer is no, move on. You know, um, sometimes we um, and I think that's true for our lives. And that's true for our, our when we're dealing with our children, too. We can kind of get stuck on things sometimes and, and, and overblow it. But life is a marathon, not a sprint. And there are just these little bumps in the road that we don't need, we don't need to make bigger. So, yeah, I like that one personally. That's I've not heard that one before. That one makes perfect sense. And especially in this day and age to think through, you know, sometimes we just need to pause before making big decisions or like you even said, you know, just reacting to things and things of that nature. So your mom sounds very wise and that is a a very good piece of advice. And uh, thank you for sharing that. Another piece, uh, I wanted to to put just one one last little plug in for your book. Again, I just I think it's amazing, and and you do go over a good bit of you know the process of IEP and five hundred four plans. So if people are interested in that, and I also like that you you know that toward the end of the book you provide a FAQ section where you're you know here are some questions I get a good bit, and here are some responses and kind of places to go. And I just felt that was very valuable for families and especially, you know, as you, you've read through the book and you're digesting everything and here are some, some questions that you see that come up quite frequently and, and addressing those specifically. And so I appreciate that you provided that as well, because I do believe that's, that's very helpful for families. So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. And uh, also, so, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up today, what, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, a, a, you know, about the services that you provide. How can, you know, if someone's, you know, resonating with you today and they think, I really want to reach out to Marianne, I want to connect with her, you know, what are, what, what, first off, how can people connect with you and, and get to know you? And we'll put those in the show notes as well for links and things of that nature. And then what types of things do you offer for families as far as services? Sure. So um, you can get in contact me with me um, through my website, which is www dot exceptional advocacy services.com i also has have a facebook page uh, named the same exceptional advocacy services and i have a personal page feel friend feel free to shoot me a friend request marianne young and um as far as services i do direct advocacy services where um you know i will get a complete copy of your child's educational records read read through it come up with a game plan um, and prep you for the meeting kind of, um, every step of the way and attend meetings on your behalf, read the document when it's done, kind of provide you next steps. So, uh, literally holding your hand through every step of the process, making sure you understand, um, and, and advising on where to go next. And then I do, um, trainings as well, disability specific trainings or IEP trainings for different, um, businesses and nonprofits. So I'm glad to do that. If people um, have quick general questions, you know, I, I don't charge for that. If you want to give me a call and um, I'm, I'm glad to help that, but that's it. I don't tear my services. I'm just. <laughs> well, thank you. And going back to what you said earlier about experiences, you know, it just, uh, I don't want to say it sits right. Cause I'm sure people, you know, in different 
different people do things differently. And I'm sure there are very successful advocates out there that are not, uh, and very, you know, efficient and effective advocates that may not have walked in the shoes that, that you walked in or that I've walked in. But, at, you know, I do appreciate uh, that you're, you know, you're very open about your journey and your experiences as a mom. And I think that just for me anyway, would put me at ease to know, well, you've been here, you know how hard it is, you know, and, and, and you can have some candid conversations. And then I think too, you know, from the perspective of, from a mom, you know, if you said to me, Nicole, that's, that's too, no, that that's not going to work. Or, you know, let's, let's see if we can rephrase this. I just think experience and relationships, those two pieces that you talked about earlier are just so essential. And so I, you know, I appreciate all the work that you're doing and all the help that you're providing and, and, and your passion. Cause I can tell from, from having a conversation today that you're passionate about your work and, and that too goes a long way. And so I think those are all, you know, key pieces one piece I do want to want to ask you about before we close today, and it doesn't have to be about you specifically, but I meant to ask you this when we were talking about hiring an advocate, um, you know, because special ed- education advocates are very, you know, specialized. Um, you know, you've got to know the nuances of, like you said, the law, but also the nuances of how does it work at this district? How do I get to the right person and all those pieces that are hard for a parent to navigate by themselves. If I were to call an advocate and it, it could be you or it could be someone else about a ballpark of what should I expect to, to pay as a, as a, you know, as a, for these types of services, is there kind of a ballpark as far as I know it's, I don't know if you do hourly or you do services or, you know, when, but when it, let's just go back. So, I mean, you can talk about your personal if you want to, but we can go back to the conversation we had a minute ago, if you don't mind of, okay, I've reached out to five advocates and I'm getting all these various costs. And I don't know as a parent how to know, you know, sometimes people say the more you pay, you know, the better the service. Mm-hmm. I don't know that that's always true. So I was just curious as to one, you know, what, what should we be looking for there? And then two, you know, you said earlier, you know, sometimes it might not be feasible as a parent. And so, you know, could you share a little bit about that service base as far as what, what should I expect to pay? And is there a particular area where you think, "Mm, that's a little bit of a red flag. You might want to dig a little bit deeper there. Sure. So what you're going to pay varies a a lot by location. Okay. And, and since this, people are all over the U.S. are listening to this. What you pay in New York, I was raised in New York, will be very different um, from what you pay in, say, Texas a lot of times, but even within a state, for example. So um, I live southwest of Atlanta, and I charge uh, an hourly rate at roughly 50% or less than some of the people in the metro area. It's just my location. My town is a high poverty area. So, um, and then the, the way people structure their fees can be very different. So, for example, some people do retainers, which are advanced um, hourly payments, right? So, say seven to 10 hours in advance. And then they will bill against that later. So, it's an advanced payment. I do mine a little bit differently. My retainer is a one-time fee that covers all my prep work, okay? Some people charge retainers annually. I personally do not. Again, mine is a one-time fee. So it can vary widely. Um, And and since we're in Georgia, I'll say that, you know, in Georgia, um, you can expect to pay between $75 and $200 an hour 
for a special education advocate. Mm-hmm. That's um, the pretty standard in that range. And it is a, it's a wide, wide swath. And um, it's, it's location, sometimes it's experience, right? When I was first starting out, I did this for free for a long time. Um, but when I started it as a business, you know, it's a, can be a supply and demand thing, right? When you're starting out, you can't be the most expensive person in town. So mm-hmm. some of the newer people might be a, a little bit cheaper as well. Yeah. And that's a good point, too, because I know even when you, you're thinking about hiring a tutor, those those could vary from location to location. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you adding that piece to that, because that is I would hate for someone, like you said, in New York to say, well, they said in Georgia. <laughs> right. Very different. So I appreciate you you sharing that piece as well. Well, I have enjoyed our conversation so much today, and I so appreciate you taking the time to uh, have a conversation with me today and share your experiences and share your your knowledge um, with with our moms. And so I just appreciate that and appreciate that the work that you're doing. So thank you so much for being with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on and thank you for everything you're doing. It's amazing. I'm so excited. Um, and I'm, I'm just very grateful to you. So I hope um, everybody gets gets a little something out of this. Yes, absolutely. I've enjoyed connecting and collaborating with you. So thank you again. Yes, ma'am. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation as much as I enjoyed recording this conversation with Mary Ann. She is an amazing mom and an amazing advocate, and I, I so appreciate her being with us today. If you would like a copy of the show notes and be able to get access to connecting with Mary Ann and where to find her and get a copy of her book, please uh, go over to the dyslexiamomlife.com website and you'll go to episode 26 and that's where you will find the show notes from today's episode. And if I could ask, you know, if you enjoyed this podcast and you enjoyed this episode, you know, make sure you subscribe so you always are the first to know when those episodes are released. And if you're enjoying what you're listening to, I would love for you to share. Just hit that share button where you're listening to this podcast and share this episode with a friend. I know she will really appreciate it. And just one little more tidbit. I wanted to share with you that I want you to mark your calendar. Go ahead, pull out your calendars and mark it for January 1st, 2021. I'm going to be opening the doors to a new membership. And I'm so excited. And as a special bonus for the moms who sign up in the first 24 hours, well, you may get some personal access to me as a bonus. So follow the link to the website and there you'll also find a link to the waiting list. And I'll also put a link here in the description as well. So I'm so excited to share that with you. And I hope you have a fantastic week. Enjoy your week. You remember, you got this. 